Hello and welcome to the Quietly Visible podcast. I'm your host, Carol Stewart, founder of the Bounding Solutions and author of Quietly Visible, leading with influence and impact as an introverted woman. And this is the part of women who want to thrive as leaders and in life. Now today, I have with me someone who is a powerhouse executive coach and author of the upcoming book, Dark Drivers. And her name is Cynthia Corsetti. She has more than 20 years of corporate leadership roles and over 11 years of executive coaching experience. And she serves as a beacon for high-performing executives, burgeoning startups and Fortune 500 companies. And we're going to be sort of unpacking some of what is in her book and, and what it's about and and how what what her work does. And she's going to be sharing some advice and tips as well that can help you to be your best selves as leaders. So hello, Cynthia, and welcome. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, your your book sounds very interesting. So I'm looking forward to sort of hearing what it's about and, and how it can help my listeners. But before we sort of delve into to that, just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do. Okay, so um, I started my executive coaching business about 12 years ago now, 13. Um, I was formerly an executive director, uh, executive vice president of human resources in a national engineering firm. And then I decided to go out on my own and do the part that I liked the best, which was helping develop the future leaders of organizations. It's interesting that, um, you know, as a woman, I, a lot of my clients are men, but yet when I work with women, it's really more about how to navigate in this world of men that, that they're, they're trying to get to that C-suite. And, and even though we're in 2023, unfortunately, it's still, there's a lot more hoops for a woman to jump through to get to that C-suite, I think, than there are for a man. So we try to do a lot of navigating, um, up-leveling leadership skills and, you know, just developing the future leaders. And in organizations, we work very much in succession planning because people are in leadership roles and they're great, but who's the next, who's the bench? Every single leader in your organization needs to be equipped with the skills to train the next, next level of leaders. That's right. They, they, they certainly do. Um, And being able to as as a leader, whether you are introverted, whether you are extroverted, being knowing how to sort of how to adopt the behaviours that are required in your leadership role um, is so Im- important. And I know that you're you're not an introvert. You are a, um, an off the chart ENFP. However, you've got some valuable experience and knowledge that you can share that can help introverted women leaders. So your book, Dark Drivers, what is that? Well, Dark Drivers, what this book is interesting because it's a, a cross-genre book. So it's it's part per- personal development and it's and it's part leadership. And the reason for that is because we can't do one without the other. So what a dark driver is, it's a a hidden memory or experience or past trauma that stays buried within our subconscious. And 
when we're not expecting it or we're completely unaware of it consciously, it's driving our behaviors. It's driving our choices. It's driving our actions. And when we are able to uncover what those drivers are, we're able to manage them. They're not going to go away because they're part of who we are. But understanding them for ourselves helps us learn to manage them. And from the leadership perspective, we are not called to be psychologists. We're called to be leaders. And yet every single person we leave, lead is coming to us with their own underlying dark drivers. And so what this book will do for people is, is I think like put empathy on steroids because you're going to totally understand yourself better and then have more understanding of what you're actually looking at with this human in front of you. Yeah. And and what you say about those dark drivers, that's something that I see time and time again in introverted women who um, have self-limiting beliefs that have stemmed from their early life experiences where they've been made to feel that they're not good enough because they are introverted or they may be made to feel that they should be different. Um, and then that affects how, what they, how they see themselves and what they believe in themselves. A hundred percent. And I'm also a little bit convinced that extrovert and introvert is, is maybe innately. Um, let me give you an example. I had a client who was a um, brilliant, brilliant um, gentleman uh, and really doing well in his career, but people didn't want to work with him. They said he was obnoxious. He's in their face. He's, he can never um, be quiet. He has to have the last word in. And when we started really digging into that behavior, we concluded that it was because he was the youngest of seven children. And in order to be heard, he had to be obnoxious. And he kind of learned that behavior, which was kind of extroverted, kind of in your face, kind of, um, and, and I'm not really sure if that's who he is, like innately, or if that's the learned behavior. And I think the same thing can happen in any extrovert or introvert situation. I think part of it is innate of who we are. Like when I take the Myers-Briggs, I am literally off the charts. So that's part of it. But some of these behaviors, I, I think you're right, where we're, we, we learn to adapt the way we live our lives based on what we believe about ourselves or what we believe we're supposed to be. And that is, that is, that is so true. Um, and, and where with regards to introversion, there are a lot of misconceptions about introversion, which I think as well feeds into how introverted women see themselves and how others see them as well, because people think introvert that, shy, lacking confidence, don't like public speaking, social, sometimes you've even heard people say social recluse, but those things can apply to people who are extroverted as well. And, you know, it exists along a a continuum and and some people will, depending on the environment and the situation they're in, will display more extroverted behaviour or typically behaviours that are associated with extroversion. Uh But then in certain environments, being in that environment can be overstimulating for someone who's introverted and then it may make them feel drained and want to sort of just go inwards. Absolutely. 100%. And then that's what even the Myers-Briggs teaches, right? It's where you get your energy from. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, if I were in a, and it's funny because I work from home and I'm in this room all, all day. Um, 
but if I weren't interacting live with human beings constantly, I would be exhausted. I could not do it. And yet another person would be exhausted by having to interact all day. That's right. Yes. And I, I know when we went into lockdown, my extroverted friends, some of them found it really challenging, particularly those who lived by themselves, found it really challenging being on their own for so long. Whereas uh-huh. introverted people, they actually enjoyed just having that space and that that time on their own. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. My, my husband's an ophthalmologist and he sees patients all day long and, and he has to be nice and he has to be like gregarious and all these things. He comes home and it's like, I'm I'm done talking. Like I, I'm, I'm emotionally, physically exhausted from all the talking I had to do. And I'm like, I'd be so pumped. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm, I find it very fascinating. Um, and what I think of the beauty of it all is that, you know, we're all unique. We're all individual, dif- different. And we need that variety of difference in our organisations, in the workplace. However, you know, there is there is a, a, a lot of a, a growing body of research that shows that the workplace or the work environment is very much favourable towards extroversion. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the introversion. Um, so, so, so going back to dark drivers, um, uh, just tell, tell us a little bit more. How how would the listeners benefit from dark drivers? So, I always like to say that anyone who wants to read a book like Start with Why or Lean In or any of these other really phenomenal leadership books that are out there. If they read Dark Drivers first, they're going to get more out of what they read later because Dark Drivers is truly the thing that is going to help you understand your behaviors, your actions, your patterns, where we talk about in in coaching, especially, you know, we talk about leaders have blind spots and they're unaware of their blind spots. We all have blind spots. And and a lot of those blind spots are caused by dark drivers. So when we think of leadership blind spots, we often think about um, the leader who says, I have this open door policy and everybody can come in and talk to me anytime they want to, yet no one does. And the blind spot is that leadership does, that leader doesn't recognize um, his position power and, and that people are just intimidated just because of his position. And that that's like a basic leadership blind spot. But a real blind spot is when there's a pattern of behavior, when you find yourself defensive in certain kinds of situations and you find yourself defensive in the same kinds of situations in your personal life as you do in your work life, when you find yourself quitting jobs because uh, you just quit after every couple of years and you're really not sure why. And you also find that maybe... You're in and out of relationships every couple of years and you're not sure why. The the true blind spots that are caused by dark drivers are patterns in your life. And I discovered them because I kept screwing up my life. <laughs> it was like, how many mistakes, like how many times do I have to get hit in the head before I realize that the, there's a deeper problem? And and that's when I started doing all the self-discovery. And literally, it's, it was a 20-year journey. Um of, of recognizing patterns in my own behavior. So we learn things from our parents. Uh, we learn things from, from society. We learn things like scarcity. 
uh, we're afraid of money issues where we can be, uh, I, I quit jobs. I, I had this, I, I was taught very early from my parents that it was a, a female that my role was to get married. My role was to try to be pretty so that the boys will like you so that eventually you can get married and you can have children and do your thing. And just in case your husband dies or something, you should learn to type. Like that was like the mentality that I was raised with. So I innately, like the dark driver for me became that I had to have a man to take care of me and I couldn't do it on my own. So it took me a really long time to, to connect my relationship issues with my leaving job issues, because I would leave a job because I, I believed unconsciously, I was completely unaware of this. I believe that if I didn't leave the job, they would figure out that this isn't really what I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm not good enough to do it. And so I quit. And I had to trace all of these things back to figure them all out. And once I did, once it clicked, my career took off. And that's how I became, I got my master's degree. I, you know, I actually, and, and marriage, it's actually lasting. Like it's, <laughs> it's like all of these things came together. They, they, but it, it really took work to figure out why, what were the patterns in my life? And what was that defining moment for you when you realized that? Because some people, they go through life um, and they keep making the same mistakes or the same things happen. Um, and, you know, it's, they don't look at themselves. They, you know, everything is everybody else's fault and they they don't look at themselves so what was that defining moment for you when you when you fought to look into yourself as opposed to looking at you know this these things keep happening to me and you started to look at well what is it that you're doing that is um enabling these things to happen for me it was a morning that I, it, it was pouring rain and I was in the car and I just pulled into my driveway and there was an, um, there's this Amy Grant song. This is actually the intro to my book. I talk about this. Um, there's this Amy Grant song playing. It was, um, love will find a way, but it, it, in the song, she uses this phrase about here I am an angry young woman. And, those words really resonated with me at that time. And I just started sobbing. I go, what, what am I doing here? Like, why am I angry? Why, why am I, why am I screwing it up so much? What, what is wrong? And I, I, I think I sat in my car and cried for like 40 minutes that day in the pouring, pouring rain. And I just kept hearing that song and just playing it again and playing it again. And um, I got out of the car that day and I said, I got to figure this out. And that's what started the journey for me is, is, I think sometimes, you know, it, it's like anything we have to, we have to hit a point where we don't want the pain anymore. We we don't want to be feeling that inner turmoil. We don't want to be ruminating about everything and obsessing about everything and worrying about everything. And we just need to be able to let it go. And I think something that you said um, earlier is, is a great way of identifying um, that or sort of reaching that defining point you, you said about being defensive, being defensive about everything, whether it's relationships, whether it's work um, and those blind spots. Um, And I think if somebody finds themselves in situations where they are either being defensive or, as you say, they're feeling a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of um, doubting themselves, 
constantly um, and, and it's affecting them to start to look inwards at what could be going on for them. That's where the power is, because the longer that we think that this is happening to us, we are completely going to be victims and we are never going to be able to resolve it. But it's empowering. It's it's a journey. It's painful. It's difficult. But it's empowering to say, okay, what what can I do differently? What is it about me that that can change? Now, one of the things when when I work with clients, um, you know, that I, I didn't always call them dark drivers. You know, I, I've done done this for years, and I'd find these patterns, and it, you know, all of a sudden it clicked and said, we all have these. They're they're driving us. They're dark drivers, uh, and that's when I started writing the book. But what what I find is that you can go back and you can peel back that onion with someone. There's a couple of things that, that we have to do. First of all, in, in the book, I, I give you step-by-step kind of instructions on how to do some reflection and how to, how, what questions to ask yourself and how to do it. But if you're going to work with a coach or, or something like that, you have to have somebody that you trust immensely. And that coach has to understand the difference between coaching and therapy. Um, because yeah, not so everyone is capable, right? Uh, so, so I will help someone uncover something. But if we uncover something and it's like truly a real trauma, they were sexually abused or whatever, like then they need therapy. They need to heal the past. But good coaching is okay. So we've uncovered that these memories and, and things are triggering you today. How do we move forward and navigate them? And that, that's really important if you're going to work with a coach on something like this. And I think that is so important um, because of the, the coaching profession not being regulated. There are a lot of coaches out there who don't necessarily know um, the, the sort of the boundaries between coaching and when someone needs therapy because it is quite a grey area. So it's so important that someone is unearthing deep-rooted trauma or things that have happened in their past that they get the right kind of support um for it um and so that's why it's so essential to check out the credentials of the people that you are working with listeners yeah it, it is and and it i i think this is important in the workplace too for leaders right because we are not paid to be the psychologist of our employees and we want to be empathetic and we want to, uh, we want our employees to feel like they can talk to us and share things with us. And, and we want to create a psychologically safe work environment. And that's all true. And there's a line we shouldn't cross at, and, and try to be their psychotherapist. So what we need to do as leaders is have that empathy and recognize that, yeah, I may need this project done by Friday, and it's really critical that this project get done by Friday. And the person who's doing this pro- project may have some things in the, that I don't see that may stop them from getting this job done on Friday. So I work with my clients. I say, you know, as a leader, you try to refrain from saying things like, I expect this project to be done by Friday and try rephrasing it in a way that gives that person an ability to um, to be human. So I can say, this project needs to be done by Friday. Is there anything that you can think of that might stop you? Or can you commit to me that you'll have it done by Friday? And that opens the door for that person to maybe not have to share their whole personal life with you, but they might be able to say, I don't think I can 
physically get this done, or I don't think I'm going to have all the pieces I need, or I don't have enough time. And as a leader, it gives you the ability then to remove some roadblocks. Yeah, great advice that. And um, what are some of the ways that you have seen, you know, as as a leader, if you sort of think back to your sort of days where you were um executive vice president and you as a leader in an organization what are the ways that you saw um other people's dark drivers showing up and and if you are if you are able to recall any sort of particularly for people who are introverted um yeah let me let me try to think that well one of the the problems um that i i saw with one of my very introverted clients was that she well she was a client this wasn't my leadership role but i i've been doing this now for so many years i've worked with more executives in this capacity than yeah. I remember back then but my um the one very introverted client i had one of the things she struggled with in her career was it, when she's in a meeting, now she's at the, in the C-suite, she finally gets to the C-suite and, and she's worked hard to get there and she'll sit in the C-suite and her method of processing information is to really think it through and she will not speak up until she's very confident in what she's going to say. Now, the dark drivers for her, as we kind of peeled back her onion, was that when she was, and when, and I talk about this in, in my book too, I, my book covers a lot of these stories, but um the one of her dark drivers is that when she was um a, a maybe second or third grade she brought home a paper from school and she was really proud of it and it was like a b plus and her mom looked at it and she put it on the refrigerator and she was ecstatic she got this b plus and a few minutes later her brother walked in with a b plus and the mother looked at the brother's paper and she said this this is you know what is this you should have an a and for some reason that clicked in this little girl's brain as her mother sees her as only a B plus person. So she became this perfectionist. Like she wouldn't do anything unless she could do it perfectly because she thought she's only B plus. So when she gets up into the C-suite and she's sitting there and, and she's quiet, it's being perceived by the other executives is that she has nothing to, 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 she has no insight. She's not, she doesn't understand what's going on. It's perceived very negatively where I tried to teach her that what's valuable to that executive team is her analysis. It's not her final answer. It's how she processes the information and gets to that answer. And we do that by conversing. We do that by putting our ideas out on the table. So the introvert in her and the way she processed information was to be that very quiet, not speaking up. And, um, but the impression that she was giving was that you just don't know what you're doing yeah and, and that that story is something that I see time and time again with clients um where you know one particular client that comes to mind very similar story um she had gotten a B, gone home excited about it although her, her dad did actually say to her why wasn't it an A um and that was something that stuck with her into her 40s um and that was when she came for coaching um and once we sort of um, peeled back the onion so to speak she recognized that was the point for her where she just ad- adopted this perfectionist behavior which, which would put a lot of pressure and she, being a perfectionist is stressful um and it would affect her confidence and she experienced imposter syndrome all, all of that as well and, and then, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was, what's really interesting that, that I discovered in my research and, and doing all this is that these memories and these experiences that are buried in our subconscious, they might not even be true. Because what happens is we process information as a child. So we experience something, you know, and we assign meaning to it based on, on how we see the world at that time. So, uh, I, I have a, um, uh, you know, a very distinct memory of my mom telling me, you know, your dad's going to, your dad might leave us. And if he leaves us, we're going to be poor and we're going to be this and we're going to be that. And I, you know, I was like seven. So when, when this fear of being left comes, it's a seven-year-old remembering that and our memories infallible are fallible, our human memory is fallible. And that's why eyewitness testimony, there's so many cases out there where they're saying eyewitness testimony cannot be even counted on because we see it and we assign meaning then and how we feel. And then the subconscious continually looks for validation of that. So if I think that a man's going to leave me and then, you know, somebody doesn't want to go out with me in high school, like I validate that seven-year-old's belief you know, that men leave you, men don't like you or whatever it is. You're a B student or you're a bad athlete. Your subconscious is continually looking for evidence. Meanwhile, the person, the adult in the room, it may not have really happened exactly that way. You know, my mom might've just said, oh, dad and I had a fight and I, I might have imagined the rest of it. You know, like, I don't know because I'm the human memory to me, it's clear as day, but you can't count on the human memory. And that's why, so, you know, as a child where you have that sort of negative situation, you you can magnify that. And then as the years go by, it, it's just being magnified so that anything that happens that is remotely related to that sort of emotion that you felt, um, it, it sort of brings it back on. Absolutely. Well, and that's why we blame our parents on everything. <laughs> I tell I tell my parents, I don't know if you want to read my book, but I do have disclaimers in there. It's like this isn't about calling people out. This isn't about blaming people. It's about trying to understand what's happened in our own lives, what our own brain and subconscious has done with this information and how how it's impacting us. This is about us. It's not about anybody else. And mm. and that's really key as well. And, and that's right. And it's that taking that ownership and taking responsibility for it and, and recognizing that, you know, things may have happened. You can't change what's happened, but what you can change is how you respond and how you act and how you move forward. And so taking that ownership and responsibility that you're going to move forward and move on from that, um, get the necessary support that is needed to help you to do that as well. Absolutely. And, and that, that's what's going to make you a better leader. When you truly, that, that's why I said that my book is kind of like the, the, the baseline that you should start with. Because if you can figure out and understand that you and others have these dark drivers and you can figure out how to do some reflection and how to do some questionings and, and so on, it's going to make you a better leader to start with. And it's going to make all those other books that you read, they're going to, you're going to get more out of them because you're going to understand yourself better as you start to read them. That's right. Yeah. And I'm picking up again on what you said about your client um, in board meetings. Um, that, that meetings can be one of the most, so, so doing my, my research, 
meetings can be one of the most psychologically unsafe environments in the workplace for people who are introverted because the way that most meetings are conducted, they don't allow for the time for people who are introverted to have a preference to thinking and processing information before speaking. Um, and so if they're in that sort of environment where they're feeling, well, they can't necessarily interact and engage that in the way that everybody else is, then you've got those dark drivers coming through. It, it can make it a very challenging place for, for people. Yeah, yeah. As leader, one of the things I teach leaders um, that I, that I work with, because usually when when I go into an organization, I'm working with the entire uh, executive team, and one of the things I teach them is I, I call it a, um, an all angles protocol. So when when you're going to have a meeting with people and you want to expansive thinking and you want to hear from everyone. And we know that there are different types of people in that room. We start off by putting some questions in writing and and spend 10 minutes writing your answers to these questions. And then we're just going to go around and let everybody share what they wrote, because that gives your introverts the time to process their information, process their thinking. And it also protects you from like, we're just going to go around and give everybody, you know, everybody tell you what, what, what your thoughts are on this topic, um, the first person's going to speak and the second person's going to say, yeah, I agree with what they said. And and you're really not expanding the thinking. But when you put them and let them think, let them process in their own speed and time, then they can read what they wrote and other people can question. And it's a much safer way for people than to be put on the spot. And it it, it's, it opens for expansive thinking in the room. And and that is a, a great way of getting the diversity of thought around the table, something that I often um recommend in when people are looking at how they can make them make their meetings more inclusive in terms of the diversity of thinking styles that are around the table. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when we don't, because it's always the loudest voice. That's right, yes. And when I was doing research for my book, Quietly Visible, one uh, particular piece of research that I came across said that if organizations were um, measured on their performance in meetings most organizations would have gone out of business because <laughs> the way that they're conducted they're not very um, efficient or effective <laughs> I love that. that that's that's awesome that's true mm-hmm. that it, it also it, keeps it, coaches in business though <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this has been a really interesting discussion. Um, And if people want to find out more about you, your work and dark drivers, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, Well, right now, especially, um, I am in what we call the pre-launch section part portion of my book, which means that the manuscript is complete and it's in revisions. So right now, from the t- until August 21st, I'm actually selling pre-launch versions of my book. And what's good about being in the pre-launch is if you buy your copy as a pre-launch person, you get to have some say into how the book goes. You might be a beta reader for a chapter and you might say, hey, did you think of this? Or you might get to help design the cover, not design the cover, but choose the cover design and choose the subtitle. So you can actually be a part of the journey because at the end of each chapter is going to be some reflection questions and some key takeaways. You might see that and say, hey, maybe you'd like to add this question. So by being a part of pre-launch, you actually become a part of the dark 
driver's journey. And I'll share that link with you if anybody wants to do that. It's only a 30-day window to be a pre-launch. If not, you have to wait until January when the book is launched and you can just buy the book. But other than that, my website is CynthiaCorsetti.com and I'm really active on LinkedIn. That's my playground. I love to be, I'm, I have a, I have stuff on Facebook and Instagram, but I really, I'm just in LinkedIn. It says where I, where I hang out. <laughs> like me, LinkedIn is my fave place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that. And listeners, um, I will put the link in the, 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 the that goes with this episode. So do go and um, check out her book. Also follow um, Cynthia on LinkedIn so that you can see her updates, her posts, her thoughts, her thinking um, as well. So Cynthia, it's been great speaking to you. Very, very interesting topic. It's it's a particular topic that I'm very interested in myself and the work that I do with my clients around those, what you call dark drivers um, and how people's early life experience have shaped how they act and behave today. So thank you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you again for inviting me. I'm I'm just honored to be here. And thank you to all of your listeners for taking the time to listen. Okay. So thanks. And listeners, do go and check Cynthia out. And if you're looking to increase your confidence, influence, and impact, and you haven't completed the free assessment on my website, go to aboundingsolutions.com. You can complete the assessment that will give you ideas about areas that you can focus on. And so until the next time, bye.